This is Audio Insights from Route Consultant. This community of contractors is always on the go, so we've created a resource to move with you. Join me, Spencer Patton, as I talk with my team, fellow contractors, and vendors about our industry. There's a quick disclaimer I need to read. Route Consultant is not endorsed by and is not recommended by Federal Express Corporation and FedEx Ground. Route Consultant is not sponsored by, is not approved by, is not associated with, and has no connection whatsoever with Federal Express Corporation or FedEx Ground. Hey, Spencer. I'm excited to talk FedEx routes again today. Hey, it's good to hear from you, Kylie. Looking forward to it. Our conversation today is about pricing trends and valuations for these FedEx businesses. And this is really the core of everything we do, teaching owners and prospective owners to use these operations as investment vehicles. Are you ready to dive in? Absolutely. That's the right mindset to bring to the table is viewing these businesses partly as businesses, but also as an investment and having a good handle on how your business is going to change, not just operationally and how you can maximize the profits of operating the business, but also understanding the value of the asset itself and how that's changed over time. Awesome. I want to start our conversation by talking about how we should value these businesses. It's different from most small businesses, right? We're not looking at historical tax returns. And can you talk about that? Absolutely. So my background, I'm a finance nerd through and through. I've looked at all sorts of businesses when I was considering getting into the FedEx space. And one of the hallmark things that you just have to have in any other category besides this business are historical tax returns and historical P&Ls. So when I got into this space originally, those were my immediate requests of saying, hey, I need to see three years of tax returns and three years of P&Ls and all of this historical information. And I didn't realize until years later when I actually was a contractor that my time was largely wasted, completely wasted, focusing on historical financials. And I know for so many people, that is just the hardest thing to wrap their head around. Because if you're looking at a franchise, if you're looking at a self-storage business, if you're looking at a restaurant, all of those things, you can look at their past to give some indication of what the future is going to look like. And that is just not true in this FedEx space. And so here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, We want to focus like crazy on the last six weeks worth of data, which I know, again, is such a small sample size, but here's the reason why. Number one, the drivers that you are inheriting are the ones that are going to be having worked in the business for at least the last six weeks. The turnover in this business is generally 30 to 40% a year. So if I show you a payroll roster from nine months ago, There are a ton of drivers that were here nine months ago that are not here now. So the payroll numbers are completely different. Their efficiency metrics are completely different. And so if nine months ago your payroll was amazing, that has nothing to do with what your payroll is right now. Likewise, if nine months ago your payroll was really struggling, that still has nothing to do with what the business is doing right now. We see this a lot in volume changes too. If we go back just 18 months ago, when we are pre-coronavirus, the volume numbers that we had then just do not relate to the volume numbers of the business that you're buying right now. So, so many people try to purchase businesses 
or sell their companies based upon metrics and valuations that are just, they might as well be 50 years old because they misrepresent the business much more than they actually show you the business that you're buying. And so I get it for most of you, this is gonna be a hard concept to grasp. And until you actually go through the process of underwriting a business with us, it won't really click until you say, oh, now I get it. All right, I'm actually getting this batch of vehicles, not the vehicles that were here two years ago. So it doesn't really matter what the repair and maintenance numbers were. It's a exercise in looking at the last six to eight weeks worth of data and drawing your conclusions from that. Okay. And to set the stage, we have many pieces of content about this, but in brief, how much money do these businesses make? Because we're talking about these revenue numbers from the last six weeks. What's the average revenue per route, per line haul run? How should we talk about that going forward? So when you think about pickup and delivery, you could see a pickup and delivery route, which means that's one driver and one truck. So a pickup and delivery route could generate $100,000 to $120,000 a year of revenue. And most businesses are going to have at least eight routes. And there may be some with dozens of routes and, and everything in between. And line haul has a, a little bit wider of a dispersion between about $175,000 a year of revenue to $550,000 a year of revenue per line haul run. The reason why that range is so wide is that we have solo runs, we have team runs where there's two drivers in the truck. So some are local runs, some are cross-country runs. Obviously, the cross-country runs are going to be much higher revenue-generating instruments than your closer runs. Okay. With that base, here in the middle of 2021, what valuations are you seeing for these FedEx businesses? So there's two different ways to look at it. You can look at it from a percentage of total revenue, and then you can look at it as a multiple of EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So as a percentage of revenue, we see pickup and delivery generally sell for between 70 to 85% of one year's revenue. And that is with an average kind of traditional FedEx fleet. And I recognize that that is vague and say, well, Spencer, what is an average traditional fleet? And that essentially means there's not too many new trucks. There's not too many old trucks. It's kind of just a B or B plus fleet. If the business has an exceptionally good fleet or a fleet that's a dumpster fire (laughs) in either way, (laughs) it's going to adjust valuations from there. Line haul, we generally see 90 to 130% of one year's revenue as a valuation guidepost to use. And again, these are guideposts, not meant to be hard and fast rules that there cannot be exceptions to. The multiple of earnings, we generally see a four and a half to five times multiple of earnings on these businesses. That's true whether you're on pickup and delivery or a line haul. You know, you recently celebrated your eighth anniversary as a contractor. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And how have valuations changed during your tenure? I've heard you talk a little bit about how it was so different when you started. You know, it was it was funny. I was doing a webinar and I literally did not realize that it was eight hour, eight years to the day of me being a contractor. And because I I always say, you know, it's April 27th of 2013 and I was leading a webinar. I just happened to answer the question. And I looked at my calendar on my screen. I was like, wait, that's exactly today. And so I (laughs) I had a moment live on a webinar of like, wow, okay, it's been eight years. And 
it's, I, it's one of those things where I love this business and I'm really, really thankful for it. Like anything in entrepreneurship, you're so glad that you don't have to go and do it all again <laughs> of essentially burning <laughs> it all down and having to relearn the whole thing. I would still do it, but I'm just really glad that I don't have to start from scratch on that. So uh, valuations have certainly changed. The world still, even today, has no clue that these FedEx routes exist. Most people think that the person coming to your door wearing a FedEx uniform, driving a FedEx truck is just another FedEx employee. And 99% or more of the United States has no clue that this is contracted out in what is very similar to a franchise model. So as the world has woken up to that, there's been overwhelming interest in purchasing these routes. So eight years ago, we saw multiples at two and three times earnings, and those just do not exist anymore. The, the only time that you're going to see prices like that are when there's huge problems with the business, or it comes with no trucks at all, or no managers, something that is pretty problematic. I thoroughly believe that two, three, four years from now, we are going to see multiples that are going to be at six, seven, and eight times earnings. And the reason why I feel so confident in saying that is looking at other businesses that provide as good corollaries to what we're doing here. So if you look at the self-storage business, that business has low growth. It's a consistent income stream. And depending upon whether you own the real estate or not, there may be some tax advantages to that too. Those businesses sell at 10 to 12 times earnings. And so there's no reason why FedEx routes that are growing massively more, are levered to the e-commerce space, have all sorts of tax advantages, would be trading at half of those valuations, and even sometimes a third of those valuations. So we're going to see valuations continue to lift, but it all is about the exposure. And for those of you listening here, you are learning about something that very few people know even exists. That's awesome news. I want to dig into the particulars that influence valuations. And so we mentioned fleet above, and I know a lot of our new investors are not truck people. So this is new to them. And so I was hoping you could touch on how fleet influences valuations. You mentioned a really new fleet and a dumpster fire fleet. Can you talk a little bit more about how that changes the price of a business? So fleet is meant to be around 20 to 25% of the purchase price. So if you have a million dollar purchase price, we generally see the fleet be worth 200 to 250,000 as an average. Now, if there are times where the fleet is worth 400,000, then we may see one of two things happen. The purchase price is going to lift or you're just gonna get a better deal than what some other people will. When I am a seller and I'm selling a business, it is difficult to buy a bunch of brand new trucks and then get the same value that I just paid for them in a sale. And, and that should kind of intuitively make sense to all of us. If you go and buy a brand new Mercedes Benz, you somewhat know that if you turned around and sold it four weeks later or even four months later, you're really going to be looking at some type of depreciation. And while that's not as true on the commercial vehicle side, there's still an element of truth to it. We still see depreciation. We still see new technology come out, more fuel efficiency, all of those pieces. So 
the idea I think for a buyer is to say, you want to have a great fleet strategy no matter what. If you're coming in and the fleet is outstanding, then you should expect to pay a premium off of the ranges that I gave you because you're not going to have to be buying new trucks in the future to replace a very high quality fleet. The alternative is that you are purchasing a business that has a ton of really old trucks that need to be replaced. And so there would be or should be some type of discount for the fact that the fleet is pretty old. And we're seeing sellers do this. And I don't blame sellers where they arrive at a point in their business where they say, okay, I've got a really old fleet and I have one of two choices. I can take my currently debt-free business and put $700,000 worth of debt on it and buy a bunch of brand new tractors or trucks or whatever it may be. Or I can call Rao Consultant, I can sell my business and I can let the next buyer decide what they wanna do with the fleet. And we're seeing that a ton where contractors are saying, hey, it's been a good run. I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to harvest my investment. And so rather than re-upping for another round around the merry-go-round of debt service, <laughs> I'm just going to let the next buyer worry about it. And that's completely okay. It's not done as like a stealthy disguise. It's saying, hey, I don't want to go and do another six or $700,000 trip of debt service pay down. All right. Someone listening might have heard us talk about long-term lease strategies in line hall. Can you talk a little bit about how that might influence valuations when they're looking at operations? So we have line hall long-term lease, and there is also the potential through a new program that we're doing to have pickup and delivery long-term lease, a full service lease program through a, a program that Route Consultant pilots ourselves. It's called Hello Truck Lease, where you're actually able to get brand new equipment and all of the repair and maintenance expenses are included in your monthly lease payment. So you don't have to worry about any repair and maintenance pieces. So we're actually seeing this change valuation sum because if I sell you a business on the line haul side or the pickup and delivery side that has no trucks with it at all, then you've really got to look closely at the cash flow that the business is generating. Because if I sell you a business and it has no trucks and I say, listen, I'm leasing all of my trucks and I have this full service lease with Hello Truck Lease where you don't have to ever worry about servicing your trucks. The leases renew every three years. And as a result of me making this choice, my cash flow, my profitability of the business is actually better than if you had been owning your trucks. And so it's a really interesting piece that there, the market is currently deciding how it feels about it. <laughs> and that, that's honestly the, the truth is that some people say, well, how could I pay the same purchase price of a million dollars for these two businesses when one comes with a bunch of fixed assets in the form of trucks and one of them comes with no trucks whatsoever, but all leases? And the answer to that question is at the end of the day, you are buying cash flow. You're not buying trucks you're not buying a contract. You're not buying the business because you love cardboard boxes. <laughs> that, that, that We're not here for any of that. The real reason why you buy is you're buying the best cash flow that you can find. So the argument says, if a business is showing superior cash flow, does it really matter what trucks come with it or if any trucks with it, as long as it's showing superior cash flow? 
And so that's really an interesting evolution that's happening right now in the space. We're seeing a substantial number of contractors gravitate towards this full service lease program, both on the line haul side and the pickup and delivery side. And we're seeing not only our valuations uh, staying steady, we're seeing them improve in some cases because the cash flow becomes more consistent because you don't have to worry about dealing with the repair and maintenance anymore and the fluctuation that that can cause in your expenses from week to week. Okay. Another huge impact on price right now is this demand for specific geographical regions and I'm wondering what sort of influences you're seeing there. So there's always five states for us that we see valuations be higher and there is nothing special about FedEx ground contracted service areas in these five states that I'm about to give you. This is truly just a lifestyle choice of saying, I want to live in this place. And because of that, there are a lot of people that feel the same way. And so the prices on these routes are just higher. So those five are California, New York, Colorado, Texas, and Florida. Those five states you will actively notice that valuations on routes are higher. And again, that's not because of anything to do with the territory. It is a lifestyle choice where someone says, I want to deliver FedEx and I want to be able to see the beach while I do it. And so I'm going to do that <laughs> in Florida and they're willing to pay a premium for that. So that's something to be mindful of when thinking about this as an investment is that if this is truly an investment, then those five states may not be where you want to gravitate because the prices are going to be higher. But at the same time, there's some people that would say, well, listen, I'm the type of person that I buy the penthouse because there's always a market for the best. And even when you see other things suffer, generally those really ultra high-end type pieces keep their value better than most. And so I could also understand a market of saying, Spencer, I'm going to buy in Texas because that's where I think the value will always remain, even if we were to see some disruption in some other markets. Can't help but laugh thinking about a contractor we talked to recently who moved from my very cold state of Illinois to Florida and was showing us via webcam his gorgeous pool and cabana. So I get it. <laughs> if you're going to deliver boxes, you want to be there. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's right. It, it's, it is a lifestyle piece. It's a weather piece. And, and sometimes it's a tax piece. So there are states that don't have personal income tax, and that could be a, a part of it. There's all sorts of different kind of complexities that can go into that decision. Awesome. Well, I know a seller's timeline can also have a huge impact on the purchase price of an operation. So can you talk about why that is and what we're noticing this year? So seller's timeline is important in that a seller has a, already a couple things to juggle. And this is not related to right now. This is related to just the seasonality of the business in general. And that is something known as peak time. So during November and December, these businesses morph into these giant three-headed monsters <laughs> of simultaneous massive profitability and massive operational complexity. When you go towards Christmas time, you are having to double the size of your business. You're having to hire all these employees and get all these trucks and have a sophisticated scaling of your business. And then right after peak, right after Christmas, you have to reverse it back down to the size that it was before. So that's always a timing element. And so here in kind of approaching mid-year for us, 
we are getting to that window that if you were to start buying a business right now, you're probably eight to 12 weeks until you take over. So we're talking kind of Q3. That's enough time to be able to learn the business and get ready for peak. But if you start pushing too many more months into the year, then you're starting to look at a takeover time in November or December, which is either going to be prohibited by FedEx or it's going to be prohibited by us <laughs> because <laughs> we want to see you succeed. And I cannot send you into you know, swirling saw blades of peak time to say, yeah, this is a great way to start your very first FedEx business a week before Thanksgiving. Good luck. Have fun with that and call me in January. Right? <laughs> That's not what we want to see. But there's other some there's some other timing elements too. So contractors in 2020, it's no secret, have exploded in size. We've seen a massive amount of growth from contractors because of what's happened with COVID and the shift of our economy from retail sales over to e-commerce. And so that has resulted in contractors being bigger than what they set out to be. And I realize for some of you, it says, well, how can that be? Like there's contractors that don't want to grow? Yes. I would say a solid 75% of contractors, because they've been doing this for 10 plus years, have a business that is significantly beyond what they expected it to be when they got started. And even though they appreciate the growth, they, from a lifestyle choice, didn't sign up for this. And so they're selling off a portion of their business so that way they can pay down debt, they can put some substantial money in their bank, and they can still have a company that generates good operating income. So contractors are feeling some pressure just from their own operational side of saying, gosh, I, I didn't sign up to be managing 25 employees, right? I, I, I'm good with 10, I'm good with 15, but you know, sometimes one employee is too many employees <laughs> and getting them to show up to work and treat your equipment well, they say, you know what, I'd just rather be back to the smaller size that I was. So we're seeing some pressure time-wise to reset the businesses from this massive growth. And before we move on from pricing trends, I want to acknowledge current market conditions and wondering how have things like COVID-19 and the impact of the pandemic changed the values of these businesses? We're seeing a lot of strength in the value of these businesses, because when you're thinking about this again as an investment, you're thinking about what does well during times of distress, and when you look at 2020, there were probably two businesses that did really, really well, hand sanitizer <laughs> and e-commerce delivery businesses, right? I mean, those were the two. If you were in other spaces, you probably had a tough 2020. And there's obviously exceptions. But overall, I think everyone would say that it was an amazing year for the e-commerce space. Now you reset back to look at 2008, Right? And that was quite some time ago, the great financial crisis. These businesses held their water and either saw flat growth or small growth, but they did not have negative growth. And so we have been able, because we've been around, when I first got started, I still got to see some data for what happened in 2008 and 2009. And it was impressive in its resilience when the rest of the economy was really, really struggling. This business was not. So now there's been two very unique, very different tests of this industry, and it is passed with flying colors in both cases. 
So what that's done is it's attracted a new type of buyer, which is to say, this has a, a role in my portfolio. This is not going to be everything for me, but this has a role for how it could have a part of my investment portfolio. And some of you will say, well, this is going to be everything for me. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to come and do this full time. And they get a lot of certainty and confidence in knowing the resiliency of this business as an alternative to so many other businesses that have proven themselves to be less resilient. That's a perfect segue. I've heard you talk before about how these businesses are probably not right for someone looking for a job, but they're really great vehicles for someone looking for an investment opportunity. So can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. So here's here's what I mean by that when I say looking for a job. So I would say about 60% of our buyers are looking to exit their corporate job to come into this space. So the distinction that I'm trying to create is that I'm not saying that the business is producing a insufficient level of cash flow. Like you can support your family, you can support an investment thesis with this business. What I am encouraging you to really think hard about is that I don't want you working in this business every single day. This business, if you're in a truck, if you are driving, if you have bought a business to buy yourself a job, I found that those contractors are usually the ones that fail because the business doesn't scale very well. I instead want you working on your business. I want you making sure that the business has the right strategy, it has the right people, it has the right back office support, and that you're building the infrastructure of the company to be able to succeed. Because that's the, the old school contractor, which I love and have learned so much from, the old school contractor started off as a driver. They started off as the mechanic. They were the HR department. They were the recruiters. They were the insurance uh, providers. They were uh, getting the titles and the plates for the vehicles. Like they literally did everything. And that was okay when you had two employees or five employees or maybe even 10. But now that you're at 25, it doesn't work anymore. You cannot be in a truck. You can't go out there and do all of these pieces and also take care of all the things that the business has to have in order to run. So that's what I mean by saying, I don't want you to buy yourself a job here. I'm also not saying that this is mailbox money because this business is not. I just want you working strategically on the business rather than in the business. I hope that distinction makes sense. It does. You also touched a couple minutes ago about how these are recession resistant businesses. And I've heard you talk about how they almost act as hedge investments. So can you talk a little bit more about that? So there's elements of inverse correlation to these businesses versus many other businesses in the space. And, and that's really, so I, I used to run a hedge fund for five years, but before coming into the space. So again, I'm a finance, a, a math guy through and through, and always the holy grail when you were in the hedge fund space is that you wanted to show one of two things. You either wanted to show that your business, your investment was uncorrelated to the stock market, or even better, that it was reversely correlated to the stock market. And what that really means is that what people have found is that when the stock market goes up, a rising tide lifts all boats and everybody's happy with that. But what people hate is when the stock market goes down and goes down big, it will pull other assets down with it. 
even assets that weren't supposed to be correlated to the stock market. So think of it like the price of your home. You may or may not think that your price of your home is correlated to the stock market, but it absolutely is. And it is a picture of saying if the stock market goes down big, so too do so many other asset classes. This business has shown characteristics of being either uncorrelated or even reverse correlated in that sometimes the stock market is full of all of these old school retailers. You know, think the, the Macy's and Dillard's and JCPenney's and Best Buy and all of these big box retail players that as their stocks are getting hammered because retail is changing, that could pull the stock market down, but it's to the benefit of e-commerce. And so we're seeing FedEx and UPS and uh, these e-commerce players, their stocks are hitting all-time highs while the world is melting down with COVID. And so we're seeing some elements of inverse correlation there too. So that's, again, the recession-resistant piece. It's using a little bit more complex language around it. But that's what I mean when the business is recession-resistant is that this is a new growing part of the economy that even as other elements are dying, this business is just being born. All right. Well, here's the question of the year for us to end on. What's next for these businesses? What trends do you expect for the prices and the valuations? Yeah. So here's the reward for making it to the end of the podcast. (laughs) uh, The the outlook going forward, and, and this is something that I am talking and shouting from the rooftops that no one else that is covering the FedEx space is talking about as much as they should. So hear me when I go through this next point. It is one of the most important factors that I think you want to take into consideration in the coming 18 months. FedEx Ground and FedEx Corporate have publicly announced, so this is not insider information, but they've publicly announced that FedEx is going to be shifting volume from their express network into the ground network. So the express network actually operates as an entirely separate business. That's the airplanes, the overnight service. But in addition to overnight service, they also have two-day delivery and three-day delivery. A lot of people don't know that about express, but that's that's a big part of what they do. And express in an effort to save cost, is now leaning on the ground delivery side to make those deliveries for them. So we are seeing a significant internal shift of growth from express to ground. So even if e-commerce doesn't grow another percentage point, which it is going to, but even if your thesis is to say, "Eh, I don't know what e-commerce is going to do in the next 12 or 18 months, we are gonna see a massive influx of volume from all these express packages that we now get to deliver rather than having express deliver them. And so even listening to one of FedEx's most recent earnings calls, they talk about their outlook for the ground network is to double in the next three to four years, which is just unbelievable considering what's happened over the last five years. I mean, we have been growing and growing and growing and to see a double coming up in the next three to four years, That tells me that I want to be in this space, is that if I know that these businesses are going to be twice the size and twice the revenue and all of these different things, I don't want to argue over the difference between a 4.4 multiple of EBDA and a 4.5 multiple of EBDA. All of that is going to come out in the wash because I see where e-commerce is growing and I see where FedEx Ground is growing and going as a company and it's an exciting spot to be. That is very cool news and very exciting. So I'm wondering how else can current contractors or prospective investors connect with us if they're excited and they want to do more? 
So we try to do a lot of outreach programs at Route Consultant that are largely for free. So a, a couple kind of different steps that I'd recommend. I do a webinar every Wednesday that is open to the public. It's totally free. It's live Q&A where you can bring any question that you've got about the FedEx space and we will do our best to answer it for you live right there on the webinar. If you go to routeconsultant.com, there's an events button at the top and you'll see the weekly webinar that Annalie and I do every single week. In addition to that, we have under the resources page on routeconsultant.com, our FedEx 101 course. That is an amazing, totally free course that is more than 40 hours worth of content to teach you all the basic building blocks of what it means to contract with FedEx Ground. That is a excellent place to start and again, doesn't cost you a dime. And that that material will teach you a lot. Beyond that, we have all sorts of consulting programs. I do a 10 hour new investor summit that we're doing both online and in person. All of these pieces are ways that you can interact with our organization and we can join you on this learning experience to just give you confidence of saying, this is what I wanna do, or maybe this is not what I wanna do, but I want you feeling confident in your decision either way. And that's what Rao Consultant is really about, is educating you to where you make a confident decision and you can move forward with that choice. All right. Well, thank you, Spencer. It's great to talk to you as always. All right. It's good to hear from you, Kylie.